welcome to the Nerd Party. It's not working. How long since you've cleaned the heads? The what? The heads. Do you have any alcohol? To drink? What? No, no, to clean it. Check the tracking. The rental place closes in two hours. Shut up, shut up. It's working. Time for a retro perspective. Hello and welcome to Retro Perspective, the show on the Nerd Party, where we take a look at all of the movies released 25 years ago this week. I'm Mike. I am John. And today we're taking a look at the movies released the week of, well, I guess in our weeks, the week of April 1st, 1994. But a lot of these movies were released two days earlier on March 30th, 1994, because there must have been a holiday or something, some reason why there were a ton of movies released on a Wednesday. Uh, when was Easter that year? That's what I'm thinking. It was probably Good Friday, right? Yeah. I mean, that, that would make sense because it's a, uh, you know, that's the big family holiday. People are traveling and, uh, yep. Sunday, April 3rd was Easter in 1994. So it was Easter weekend. There you go. There you, there you go. go. So seven movies this week. Uh, let's start with the ones released on Wednesday, and then we'll move to the ones released on Friday. Sounds so March good. March 30th, a movie which did not track anywhere on Box Office Mojo, so barely made any money apparently, is Zero Patience, which has a 50% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, this movie, I watched the trailer for it if you could even call it that it was more of a music video yeah but as i understand it it's kind of a musical about the aids epidemic Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. zero patients being a pun on patient Patient zero zero. yeah uh so yeah i i didn't watch this one did you i did not i did not all right so number 13 at the box office for the week with $1.9 million and a 22% on Rotten Tomatoes is Jimmy Hollywood. I did not see that. Did you? This, yes, I did. This is the oh. one that I watched because I was looking at all of these and I was like, I don't particularly want to see any of them. This one, at least it's got some Hollywood stuff in it. And then I started looking at credits, and I saw that this was written and directed by Barry Levinson. And I was like, okay, fine. That is definitely the one to watch this week. Uh, It stars Joe Pesci Mm -hmm. and Christian Slater. Yes. Christian Slater in kind of a nothing role. But Joe Pesci is the lead, and he plays a guy who is an aspiring actor living in Hollywood, doing odd jobs, and he's really, really pushing to try to make it big. But he pretty clearly has no talent. Mm -hmm. And he's getting frustrated with this, and he kind of gets caught up in this thing, and he decides to essentially become a vigilante. And through almost accident he becomes famous 
and starts recording these videos where he's hiding his identity but playing, as he says, a vigilante. But really what he's doing is he's just a vigilante who is, you know, recording things and putting them on TV. But But in his mind, he's showing the world how great of an actor he is by playing this character. And obviously, things escalate, and it eventually gets to the point where, you know, the cops are after him and all the rest of it, and he's no longer playing a vigilante. He is a vigilante. Hmm. And there's a lot of weird things going on in this movie. That, the premise just in general is weird. But the tone is also super weird because for the most part, it has like sort of a light tone. But there's some, I mean, like the stuff that's going on with Christian Slater, I have no idea what they were trying to do with this character. He's a guy who essentially has like blanks in his memory, right? Like he'll say, he'll have a conversation, he'll say something then he'll just start having the conversation again, you know, like just start repeating himself or he won't remember what he did earlier that day or whatever. He keeps on, for example, telling uh, Joe Pesci's character that his favorite movie is Gone with the Wind, like he had never said this before, like things like that. And there's not really much to it beyond that. He's just sort of like this sidekick character. And... Really? Then, because that sounds like the setup for a reveal that he's like a Tyler Durden fever dream at the end or something. No. In fact, the end is the weirdest part of this movie. Because as it progresses and you get to the climax, should I spoil this movie for people? I mean... Okay. I think it's been 25 years. Okay. And um, I, th- right. I think you're safe. You're safe. So, so basically, the cops figure out who they are because they're not great criminals or vigilantes at all they kind of stumble their way through this and they're very effective at stopping crime but they're not effective at hiding their tracks so the cops figure out who they are and it essentially results in sort of a a uh, i don't know presumed hostage situation i think Mm -hmm. where essentially Mm -hmm. they're running away from the cops and they end up uh, barricading themselves inside the Egyptian theater in Hollywood, actually, um, oh, which is kind of okay. cool to see the Egyptian, which now has been beautifully restored. And I mean, I saw a movie there, well, actually only five years after this movie was made, and it was one of the absolute best presentations I've ever seen in my life. And the the theater was designed by the same guy who designed the Chinese theater. I think it's better. It's a fantastic theater. But you look at it here, and it's completely run down. And I don't think that it's because they dressed it. I think that this was back before they renovated it, and at the time it just was completely run down. Mm. But regardless, um, there there's like this whole thing where like the cops have basically like the entire police force outside the door because they think that this organization that they've created, this vigilante organization could have like a hundred members in it when in reality it's just two random guys, you know? And so the two guys are locked in and, you know, there's a whole thing where like they send his girlfriend in and his girlfriend comes out with Christian Slater, who's kind of like an innocent bystander. And now he's locked in by himself and he's got these guns and the whole 
thing is like his guns have blanks in them. You know, they don't, he's never like actually a threat to anyone. Um, but he's just, it's the illusion. It's acting, right? Right. right. So he starts like, have, I mean, it gets like really serious and he starts like having these like visions of like how he's going to go out in a blaze of glory, how he's going to, you know, exit the thing saying that he's unarmed and then pull out his two guns and then just be shot down. And they actually show all this and then they sort of like cut back and you see that it's actually just like his dream as he's like sleeping in the theater. And then he decides that that's what he's going to do. And he gets out there and he starts, you know, he pulls out his guns and he starts firing and he empties both clips and both of his guns and the cops are just standing there like, like we're just going to let him do this and then arrest him. And, you know, his girlfriend's like, I told him, them that, the, that you had blanks, that they were all blanks, which to me, that's completely unrealistic. They would have been like, if he pulls out a gun, we're not going to take your word for it that it's blanks. We're just going to start firing, you know? I, I would say that historically um, police departments don't tend to... <laughs> Air on the side of um, anything but ca- overly cautious uh, exactly. in situations like that. Yeah, but at that point, it does take this like almost weird comical turn, where it's like, okay, well, we're going to arrest you, and it's not even like you'd think that it would be like this sort of like pathetic thing because you know the whole time he's like, look at me. I'm a star. Look, it's like a premiere. I've got fans. You know, this is, mm-hmm. this is everything that I wanted, kind of like to die for, really. Um, and then in the end, it's like, oh, well, he's just a fraud. You know, he's not even a good actor. We knew that he was acting, you know. But it's done almost for laughs. And then they do this whole thing where it's like, you know, what happened afterwards, you know, kind of thing. And they're like, yeah, Joe Pesci spent six months in uh prison you know where you know and then and then they and then they start talking about christian slater because there's the whole thing there's this whole thing which is like again like super dark where they're like you have an mri scheduled you know like he's he's waiting to get this mri to find out why he's having these these you know like memory lapses and stuff like that and like once they get the information from there you know then they'll be able to do things like this is like what this guy's living for and then basically that's when everything hits the fan and he's like what day is today is today the day of my mri and joe pesci's like you're gonna go off because you have a doctor's appointment you're gonna go off and do that thing like we're fighting for our lives here blah 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 and the whole thing is like joe pesci completely loses sight of everything that's important to the point where he's not even gonna let this guy go and get his mri and then he like leaves and gets the like all of this stuff is going on it's like really dark and then you know, like he gets the MRI and then they meet each other at the hospital coincidentally. And then that's like when they run off together and get like run from the cops and get barricaded inside this, this building. But so, so there's all that going on then like as the movie is ending and they're doing like, where are they now? It says like Chris, the results of Christian Slater's MRI came back negative and it turned out that he was, just suffering from acute anxiety like what like what like they like like it was like that's almost like played for like a joke or something like what are you doing 
But then... That is that is so bizarre. It's super bizarre. But then they do the thing that Get Shorty did just two years later, where they were like, um, Jimmy Hollywood's, you know, story, life story was changed into, it was, you know, turned into a movie uh, starring Harrison Ford. And then it cuts to a thing. As the credits are rolling up, you see Harrison Ford performing a scene from earlier in the movie with, you know, in the Joe Pesci role. And then Joe Pesci's like off to the side in like a director's chair saying like, that's not at all what I was thinking. This is, you know, movies are lies. And then like the director who I'm pretty sure is Barry Levinson, but I'm not positive is like, I, I cut, I guess, you know, whatever. And he's like, can I, can I go talk to him? And Levinson's like, no, that's not how we do it here. And Harrison Ford's like, just let him, just let him talk to me. And then Pesci starts like directing Harrison Ford and telling him like what he, he was thinking when he was actually living that moment. And then like the two of them like walk off and like, then the it fades to black. Like this is all done. Like as the credits are rolling, Harrison Ford is in the movie playing himself. You know, I, like, I, I'm going to offer I, here. I know I'm all over the place here. I, I just, no, it's no, just no. like, that's like what, everything that was going on in this movie. What's going on? This, this, this sounds very, very, because uh, Toys came out in 1992 and Levinson did that. And it sort of suffered okay. from the same sort of thing that you're describing where, especially when it got to the ending, Suddenly, oh no, and this, oh no, and this, oh, and also that, and this is happening too, and these things are going on, and that stuff is happening, and there was, and then it escalates to this really bizarre confrontation with toy tanks that fire real bullets and stuff like that. That get, have you ever seen toys? No, I've I've heard of it, okay. but you know, I mean, I know I I know the poster and everything, but yeah, toys. Toys is this fascinating movie that you can't like stop watching, but you don't know why you can't stop watching. You're mainly because it's, I mean, it's Robin Williams is powering everything and it's got an incredible soundtrack, including some, some great music from Tori Amos, but it is, it goes completely off the rails at the end where it seems like Levinson didn't know how he wanted to finish anything. So he just threw every single idea he had in there instead of locking down to one. And it sounds like Jimmy Hollywood is Mm -hmm. in the same vein where it's like any one of these endings is valid, but all of these endings are not, you know? Yeah. It's really strange. I don't know. I don't know what to think of it. I mean, I would say it's not very good, but there's some interesting stuff in there, but it is super crazy. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. I don't. So, I don't think I'm going to check it out. I, I did. Wa- I did watch the trailer for that. I'm glad you fell on that sword. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, next one, uh, which came out on on Wednesday, number seven at the box office with a three point one million dollar gross and a thirty three percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Jeez, this week was not exactly stellar in terms of quality. Was hmm. Thumbelina, which I saw. I, yeah. I watched. Well, a, a little background here. Huge fan of Don Bluth. Okay. okay. Because yeah. 
Don Bluth is an animator. If anybody doesn't know the backstory of it, he was essentially driven out of Disney. Uh, he was one of the up and coming talents. He was an innovator. He was had a huge respect for the art and a tremendous artist and animator. You know, he he was uh, swept out shortly before slash around the time Ron Miller was driven out in favor of Eisner and Katzenberg. And, um, you know, he goes on, he does an American tale, their secret of Nim. And he is at this time presenting a threat to Disney's animation dominance, basically. But then Disney climbs back up with Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, um, uh, Lion King, all of these things. So Thumbelina, I guess, comes out in that sort of wake and it's frustrating because there are definitely shortcomings that it can't overcome. There are parts of it that just don't work, but it's a beautifully animated film um, and a beautifully art directed film and a beautifully designed film. And there's one scene at the beginning where, you know, the, I guess, according to the Hans Christian Anderson story or whatever, you know, the woman plants the seed, the seed grows the flower and the flower blooms one day and Thumbelina is inside. And I actually said out loud, that's gorgeous because, you know, the way that the flower was and the way that the petals come out and there are plenty of absolutely gorgeous set pieces uh, throughout the course of the movie, but it's not enough to hold it together. And that can be sort of a downside to Bluth's style is he's a terrific visual composer but not necessarily the best storyteller in the medium. And uh, the music's done by Barry Manilow. So what's also not working particularly well with it is that it's Barry Manilow's style of a big showy song, but not a show tune type song that a movie like this kind of demands. Like, you can hear Manilow's essence yeah. in the music. And his style doesn't necessarily match up with an animated version of an old uh, fairy tale. I did watch this with... Uh, <laughs> all of my daughters were in the room at one point. By the end, only one stuck it out all the way. And she, I asked her, I said, you know, um, what did you think? And she, you know, she did the hand wavering thing. She said, it was okay. It was all right. And that's that's pretty much true. It's okay. Um, and there are some interesting things that happen, but it's not really I wouldn't direct anybody toward it. I think you'd have to be I would say like maybe really young kids, but one of the three is a really young kid. And I'd say about twenty <laughs> minutes in, she stands up and she looks at me and she says, I don't like this movie. And I said, you don't have to finish watching it, honey. It's okay. And she went off and played. Okay. That's fair. So there you go. All right. All right. Yeah. I think, I'm not sure, maybe the only Don Bluth movie I've seen is Titan AE, right? He did that, which which I did like, but. Hmm. Uh, and that was, that one I did not see, but I know that it was, um, that was one of the trailers in front of uh, episode one. Yeah. Yeah. Really cool style written by uh, Joss Whedon. So. Oh, I didn't. I, I, 
If I knew that, I forgot it. Um, yeah, yeah I keep and, and and John August, but yeah, I keep meaning to go back and check it out. But I mean, I mean, you know, Thumbelina is actually notable because some of the, um, uh, you know, establishing shots are pure uh, computer generated graphics, but mm. they are exceptional in the fact that you can tell that they were done with a very precise effort to make them look like hand animation. Um, and so yeah. they're cleaner. Yeah. They're cleaner and the layers move a little bit better than, you know, the, the, the way that traditional animation on film goes and the colors are more consistent, which is the biggest tell in this. Um, but you know, they, they look wonderful. It, it just looks like just a really great expression of, of hand animation in those moments. All right. Well, the next movie on the list, which came in at number two at the box office uh, this week with $9.9 million and a whopping 5% on Rotten Tomatoes was Major League Two. Which I also saw. Yeah, I didn't watch it for this, but I have seen it in the past. So... Hmm. What what do you think about Major League Two? Um, yeah, it's a big pile of mess, and the only thing that really made me chuckle at any point during the movie was Bob Euchre. But mm-hmm. I really did not care for it at all. It is as if they did not understand why the first Major League was a charming surprise hit. So you liked the first Major League? I remember liking it. I haven't watched it in a very long time, but I remember, I you know, I remember thinking it was funny, and I didn't yeah. think that this was at all really. <laughs> I, I, you know, the, the, actually, the first Major League was the first R-rated movie I ever saw. Um, so really? Take that in as you Yeah. Huh? Is that a at a friend's birthday party? Uh, we're watching it and I was like terrified that my parents would find out that I watched an R-rated movie but whatever <laughs> anyway um, I, but I, I re-watched that and this one too I don't know maybe like five years ago or something like that and I did not like either of them um, this one the only thing that I really remember about it was that the White Sox are the bad guys yes that's not good yeah, yeah. that's that, that's true that's true um, yeah but they're also they're yeah. also the bad guys in Angels in the Outfield. So well, somebody's got a White Sox grudge that they're trying to work out. And an eight men out, but I guess that was kind of well, in real life too. Yes, so. you know, that's saying ain't so, Joe. But um <laughs> you know what the the one thing I'll say, the one thing besides Bob Euchre that I thought wasn't funny, but was brings sort of a wry smile with the way that um, you know, fans of movie franchises behave now is Randy Quaid's character throughout it, where it's just him with other fans and he's all up on the team at the beginning of the season. And then he's just this slavering madman of a jerk face when they hit their losing slump and they can't get through and everything like that. And then when they win at the end, he's like, yeah, this is great. I love it. And, and it was just, seeing that emotional roller coaster and thinking boy all fans there is an aspect of that in all fandoms isn't there so yeah 
Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So, okay, I mean, here's the big question. Uh, you watched D2? I forget. You watched no, I did not. Okay. No, I did not. So, yeah, I guess we'll never know whether or not Emilio or Charlie had the better sports movie. I'm I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm going to say that unless D2 is an absolute train wreck, like one of the ki- like unless a plot line is that like one of the kids is playing goalie and the skate catches his neck and it turns into this really terrible like million dollar baby type drama at the end, there's no way D2 was worse than Major League 2. That sounds like it would actually be pretty good. I don't know. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Then. I think we need yeah. to revive the franchise. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, should we move on to Friday's movies? Let's do it. All right. April 1st, A Tale of Winter, which did not uh, have a noticeable gross. Uh, This movie is definitely the highlight of the week as far as critics are concerned with a 95% on Rotten Tomatoes. It is, I believe, part of a quadrilogy, Mm. uh, one for each season. Uh, which is directed by Eric Romer, who's a French director who's uh, sort of known as one of the new wave directors, along with, you know, Godard and Truffaut and those people. So, uh, yeah, I was intrigued by this movie, but I didn't watch it. Did you? I did not. I did not. All right. Well, I think we made the the wrong choice. I uh, completely agree. I have to reassess my uh, selection process for the weeks from time to time. Yeah. So number number 14 at the box office with $1.7 million and a 30% on Rotten Tomatoes was The House of Spirits. And this is one of those Miramax like artsy movies I take it you didn't see it? I did not. No. I mean, like, you know it's going to be bad because in the trailer they say the motion picture event of the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a kiss of death, right? Yeah. So They're working a little too hard on that one. Yeah. It wasn't even the motion picture event of the... <laughs> yeah. So I don't think we're missing anything there. Nah. And finally... Number 11 at the box office with a $2.6 million opening and a 10% on Rotten Tomatoes. So twice as good as Major League Two, apparently. <laughs> Clifford. Yes. yes. Starring Martin Short. Mm-hmm. I this? felt obligated to watch this uh, because I made such a big deal uh, last week about number one mistaking it for the one about Clifford the Big Red Dog with John Ritter and was wrong and I watched the trailer twice and I think I even sent you a note at one point saying I watched that trailer again I just can't do this um, and I decided you know it's an hour and 28 minutes or whatever I, you know okay like that's that's like a you know an overlong episode of like Breaking Bad or something. I, you know, I'll, I'll pay it some attention here. And I'm also, uh, a, I, I think Martin Short is a funny guy. Um, I've enjoyed his work through the years. Charles Grodin can just he can make me. I think his delivery style is so great. I love the way he delivers certain things. It always brings a smile to my face. And so I I took the plunge and I watched it. And 
I marveled at the fact that I didn't turn it off because there were, in fact, legitimate moments here and there that made me chuckle. I would not recommend the movie. It's misguided in its execution. And it's it really is sort of like a... Um, episode of a tv series that but i don't know what series but it's almost like an episode of a tv series that just got blown up like it's maybe 30 minutes of material max (laughs) um and and it goes really bonkers insane by the end where charles and i'm gonna go ahead and spoil it but uh uncle martin kidnaps clifford and locks him in to the roller coaster he designed at Dinosaur World, runs Clifford through it, and they have a whole sequence where they go through, and you you watch the the you know him on the ride, and it's just him enjoying the ride, and this kid's been an evil like demon spawn through the whole movie, and you sit there and you say, why am I watching him on this ride? Why is this ride taking so long? <laughs> then it gets to. Um, he gets back to Uncle Martin at the control panel and he says, did you like it? Oh, I really did like it. Let's try it faster this time. And he has him go off and he comes back in and you watch part of the ride again. And he comes back again and he says, we're going to do it even faster. So he keeps increasing the speed and then the track breaks and Uncle Martin has to go out and rescue him. The kids, quote unquote kid, is going to die <laughs> And it's played for laughs that he says, you have to save me, Uncle Martin. And Groden, and, you know, it's a, it's a credit to Groden's talent that he still made me that darker part of my soul chuckle a little bit because he puts that Charles Groden expression on his face of where you can tell he's really considering whether he should. And he says, you sh-. but then he, he has this line where he's like, you should let the dinosaur eat you. It'll be a favor to humanity. It's like, whoa. That's really over the top. And basically, of course, everything, you know, winds up okay at the end or whatever. But I was thinking about it because before this point in in film history, we had that movie Problem Child. And I think there was Problem Child 2 as well, right? Yeah. Where there was a kid doing these terrible things that Clifford is doing in this movie. And I think the reason... Because I'm sitting there thinking, why wouldn't you cast a kid in a role like this? It would make sense for it to be a kid. And yeah, it's a vanity project for short for him to do zany, you know, I'm a kid type of stuff. But I realize there's also a level of violence enacted on the character of Clifford by Charles Gordon playing Uncle Martin. That if he had been doing these things to a child actor, there would have been an interior part of your brain that would have been horrified. Yeah. That said, oh, you can't, oh, no, that's not under any circumstance. But because it's an adult dressed up as a kid, it gives you permission not to be horrified at it. Now, that's all well and good, but it's still not a good movie or particularly funny. Um, and just for good measure to spoil everything, the entire framing device is that Martin Short is playing an aged priest in the year 2050 and there's a bad kid trying to leave the home for wayward boys that he's running 
and he's telling the story of when he saw his uncle Martin and wanted to go to dinosaur world. And that is, there you go. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't think I'm going to watch this one. No, 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 I'm not saying you should. I'm not saying you should. Is it better than major league two? I will say that I chuckled a little more frequently during this one. Okay. But I didn't laugh. Right. I chuckled. I chuckled. It sounds like this week is pretty much a wash. I don't know. I, I wouldn't recommend Jimmy Hollywood. Is there anything that you would recommend? Anything? That, no, 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 not real. Like uh, the only way that Thumbelina would even approach a recommendation is if you are a huge fan of animation in context and want to watch something that's sort of a time capsule of where you can see something caught in that bridge time between Mm -hmm. when CG is taking over and people are still doing hand drawing on, on cells. So it's sort of a historical curio. All right. Well, next week, I mean, tons of movies this week, next week, only one, only one, whatever, which, which movie is that Mike? Threesome. A movie which I've never seen, but I've always been curious about. So. I've never seen it, but I've never been curious about it. But I'm going right. to watch it. I'm yeah, going to watch I'm it. I'm pretty sure it's on Amazon Prime, so that's cool. Woohoo! Score one for the good guys. <laughs> yeah. So, until next week, uh, where can people find you on the internet, John? Oh, amble on over to KesselJunkie.com, where I, I ramble in print instead of uh, audially. And you can find me here on the network uh, co-hosting Aggressive Negotiations, a Star Wars podcast with Mr. Matthew Rushing. Um, And otherwise, you know, you can look me up on Letterboxd or Goodreads, also as Kessel Junkie over there. So uh, where can people find you at, Mike? Uh, Well, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Mumbles3K. And you can also find me on FilmDamagePod.com doing a show called Film Damage. And on trek.fm doing a show called tracks from the edge so i guess that's it next week nice light week i promise you we will watch every single movie that was released (laughs) on april 8th yep and uh, we will discuss them so until then be kind rewind (music) 